Well, I'm really grateful to be here and be able to t- talk to you guys this morning. When Pastor Phil came to me and, and said, hey, will you, will, you, uh, will you preach a sermon? Share what's on your heart. And there was this uh, thing in the last few months that had been rolling around in my head, this verse. And up until the moment of preparing for the sermon, I really couldn't remember where the verse was. And so um, this is a little bit of insight. I don't, pastors don't have the uh, Bible memorized. So I hit up the Googles and I said, what, what is this verse? What is, you know, you type it in, you're like, I don't remember where, even, where this even came from. And then I found it and it was in Philippians. It was in Philippians 1 uh, verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. And if you've read the book of Philippians, you know it's written by Paul. But it starts off as this introduction. It's Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy, and he's writing to the church of Philippi. The city of Philippi. This church that's in this city. And he's writing to the elders and the deacons and the congregation there. And um, then he gets into this in verse 3. And that's where we're going to be starting today. If you're following along, Philippians 1, starting in verse 3, it says this. It It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making, uh, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Can you imagine one of your friends texting you that you haven't heard from in a while? I talked to a buddy of mine. He, we live very far away, and we don't get to talk very often. And we, it always starts with a text message, what's up? <laughs> and it's like, no, man, what's up with you? You free to talk on the phone? Sure, man, sure. Get on the phone, talk about whatever. But can you imagine, like, that's, that's how, like, you're greeted by someone you haven't talked to in, like, a long time? It's a long text message. But here's Paul writing. And that's, that's, this, is the, this is a paragraph. This is, no, this is, this is one paragraph of a very long letter. And so Paul is writing to this church, and Paul, you see, here's the deal. Paul planted this church. He grew up the leadership there. He taught the people. This is a, this is a church of, of Gentiles. There, there may have been one or, one or two uh, people with some sort of Jewish background, but for the most part, it's Gentiles. It's people with no knowledge of any, no knowledge of the Old Testament, no knowledge of what it means to be a Christian. Everything Paul is teaching them. He's giving this to them. And then on top of all of that, what we see even just in from this paragraph, and we see even later on in the letter, he's experienced like all this life with them. He's experienced all this life with them. And he's writing this, right? It's, it's him and him and Timothy, and he's in prison. And I imagine, you know, I was thinking this, this past week, me and my brothers-in-law, we were like sitting around outside and just like, it would have been a campfire, but it was like way too hot and muggy. But we're just sitting outside and just chatting you know, and if you ask me, you're like, what did y'all talk about? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. We just talked and, and laughed and what it was just about whatever, you know, Paul's in prison and he's in, in there with, uh, his minute, this ministry partner here, this young guy, it's Timothy. And there's, I, I just imagine he and Timothy just, you know, what are you going to do in prison? You know, especially then you just talk, I guess. 
And he and Timothy just talk, sharing stories. And I can imagine like Timothy being like, man, you remember uh, Bob from Philippi? And Paul, like, yeah, Elder Bob, I remember him. Yeah. And then like sharing some story about him. And then Paul's like, you know what? I need to, I need to write them. I need to tell them something. I need to give them, I need to give them some encouragement, which is such a, it's so, it's a powerful image. You have to remember where he's writing this from. He's from jail. He's in jail. He's in jail and he's writing this, this, this letter to them, this encouraging letter and not just an encouraging letter. He's like expressing like his like love for these people. He's like, I feel so much affection for you. I need to tell you this. And then he, but he, and this was not by design. That's just kind of how it happened following right after Thanksgiving. But it's this, this part that's like Paul's like, not just saying I, that he loves them, but he's giving them like little bits of encouragement, little bits of theology, new ways of understanding and reminders. The first reminder he does there is in verse six. And this is the verse that has been rolling around in my head for the past few months. Verse six, it says, and I'm sure of this. If there is anything I'm sure of, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you, he will complete it. Up until the day that the Lord returns, he will continue to work on you. So if you're taking notes, this is the very first thing I want to start with here. Our stories begin with God's grace. Our stories begin with God's grace. You know, Paul, lo- he's, Paul loves these people. He's not, he didn't just love them. He's like proud of them. Like he's very proud of them because they've done all, all this. Like they don't know. They didn't know anything from anything. And they just bought in and they experienced the love of God. They experienced the Holy Spirit. And they're just like, they're just all in to the point of like, they're like sending Paul like gifts and like supporting his ministry all while they're facing their own sorts of persecution. Like that's something to be like, yeah, that's a, that's a tough group of people. But how does Paul start it? Remember who began a good work in you. Your stories, our story begins with the grace of God. It began to your salvation. The moment you were born, you took your first breath. The creation, the heavens and the earth, that's all, that's all the grace of God. Every beginning from the moment we were conscious, the beginning, God's grace has been evident there. And Paul is saying, before you get too cocky, we have this, we, as Americans, we have this thing, we're, we were born on third base, but we like to say we hit a triple. Like we like to look at it from the side of like, oh, look at how, look at, look at what I made of myself, which is great. Some of you guys have, and that's really cool. But in so many ways, like we have to look at what we have been blessed with. And what Paul is saying is you need to understand that everything begins with the grace of God. It was not your work. It was God's work within you that started this whole thing. And not only is it going to be the thing that that started everything, it's the thing that's with you now. Not only is it the thing that's with you now, it's going to be the thing that carries you all the way until the Lord Jesus returns. It is, that's the power that is within you. That's the power. That is the blessing and the gift of God is his grace. And I think this morning, just as I've been praying, I think this morning, there's someone, there are people in here. I don't know who you are. You just need to hear God is not done with you. He's not done with you. I don't know. I don't know all your stories. I don't know what you're walking through. Your, your own internal things that are going on inside of you. Maybe no one else knows. 
But I need you to remember God is not done with you. And I think that that's what Paul's trying to tell them. There's the people that all by accounts, all the Christian good works, it's like they're doing it. They're doing the thing. They're doing all the right things. And he's saying, don't, don't forget God, the one that started it all, he's, his grace will sustain you. It's in you. And if you're worried about this present moment, let me tell you, God's not done with you yet. He's not done. Recently, I've been, uh, I was reading a, reading a book with some friends and it's like one of those books that's like a classic that like, uh, you need accountability to finish. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this on my own. So I'm going to have some friends hold me accountable. And so I was reading some different stories about, um, not stories, reading different articles about like what makes a book like a, like, why is this like, I was like, why is this popular? And so then it just started this whole, like, you know, my ADHD kicked in. And so I'm just started, you know, like, you know, clicking on every additional article there. And, you know, when you think about a story, like what, what makes us, what makes a book a good book? Like generally the story, the plot, maybe some characters, maybe the action, maybe the romance. I see, I see some of y'all. Y'all are the one, y'all are picking up those grocery store romance novels. Let's be honest. And you're like, I don't, I don't have to use my imagination. The picture's right there in the front. I know what they look like. I know what they look like. One thing I never thought of, and I got on this, this one article, I, I, I don't know why, it never dawned on me, but what, things that make books iconic are their endings. Like there are books that are, that they're, 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 they have lasted through history and they're literary treasures because of how they end. Like the great Gatsby's has this like incredible line, which number one, the great Gatsby is a great book, but then the, the credible line that says, so we beat on boats against the current born back ceaselessly into the past. And then you just are done. <laughs> That's it. You're just left with this like amazingly written line. And then there's some lines that are, they just stay with you forever. Like you're going to watch, I promise you, you're going to watch this story and unfold a million different times over this next month. The, the Christmas Carol, a Christmas Carol. And the Christmas Carol ends with the most iconic line. You're going you're to be able to finish it for me. It's Tiny Tim. What does he say? God bless us. Everyone. That book is ancient. And y'all know it. It's iconic. Growing up, I had, my mom was really into Gone with the Wind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Calm down, y'all. I hear you. I see you. I know. It's Scarlet and Rhett. Mm. What a love story. And, uh, you know, if you've never read The Gone with the Wind and you're like, hey, don't, don't ruin the ending for me. I'm like, well, it's about 90 years too late. I don't want to tell you, man. Um, but besides it, besides it being like, I did not realize this. Back in 2014, they did a Harris poll and Gone with the Wind was the most, the second most beloved book in American history. It was, sec- it was second to the Bible. Gone with the wind was, which is, I think was, uh, it's crazy, but you have this whole story and I'm not going to, we're not going to go into all of it, but it's a story of love and loss and tragedy. And you know, the, the, the main character, Scarlett, you know, she goes through all this stuff. It's take place in the in American civil war and the reconstruction era. And, you know, uh, she has all these problems that happen in her life. And most of them are, are her own fault. Uh, they're due to her own actions and her own self delusion. And you come to the very end of the book and the end of the book is this moment where like 
her love is leaving her. She's lost a baby. She, you know, the life that she knew is gone. The businesses are, you know, have been mismanaged and the money's been mismanaged. And this is this really tragic moment. And the book and the movie end with the same line. Because she starts to look at her life and look at all this tragedy. And then she's like, hold on, hold on. It ends with this line that she says, after all, tomorrow is another day. Tragedy and destruction. And she looks at it, this very hopeful idea. And it's this weird tension between being hopeful and delusional. Right? That is hope. It's a, it's a weird balance of being hopeful and delusional. And she says, tomorrow is another day. I think that's a, what Paul was doing in this letter was trying to be a witness to hope. He was being a witness to hope. He was trying to do this thing where he's trying to explain what is sustaining these people. The hope that they have for their lives, their daily lives, their future, without teetering into the delusion, but saying, no, here is what you hold on to. He was a witness, what we'd call a witness of hope. You know, when you think of a witness, it's, it's you know, someone that, you know, saw, saw something and reported. Like, if it's a crime, you know, they, they tell the detectives, like, I, I witnessed this. This is, how, this is how it happened. Or what we're so blessed with down in the south is, like, you know, we have a weather incident, and they go and interview the witnesses of the weather incident, right? And it's never anyone that belongs on TV. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's never, you know, anyone... It's definitely some distant relatives of ours, you know. The wind tunnel was running through my yard like a scalded dog, and then it picked up my house and, and shook it like a salt shaker. You're like, no shirt on, you know. It's all, it's, it's so good. And you got it. That's actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's actually the perfect witness to what happened. They witnessed it. They saw it. They're explaining it. And Paul is telling them, Don't let your circumstances kill what God is doing within you. Don't let your circumstances kill what God is doing within you. And then the very next verse, he goes on to say this, verse 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. Remember, he's still like filled with all this affection. He goes, it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Remember I told you earlier, they were... They were sending him money and supporting him and Timothy all the while their local government was beating down on them. They were facing, they may have not been in prison like what Paul was in, but they were facing the same kinds of persecution. And so this is my next point here. Growth comes through struggle. Growth comes through struggle. I just, I don't, I cannot... It's so hard for me to put, uh, to put myself in that situation of what the church was facing. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel that. I don't feel oppression. You know what I mean? Like I was able to come to church and I'm so grateful. Nothing stopped me from coming to church and I'm able to buy Bibles and Christian books and like nothing's stopping me. Like, and I just don't know, I don't know what it's like. But I do know what it's like to be going th- through a moment, going through 
you know, whether that's my own issue or issues, you know, outside of my own control, I know what it's like to, and I'm sure you, we all, it's life. It's the human, it's the human condition. Nothing is perfect. Life isn't perfect. Things will happen. Struggles will take place. But there's something on the other side of this. There's something on the other side of it. You know, recently we lost uh, a really great, uh, a really great biblical scholar. His name was Gordon Fee. And um, besides writing a million things, he wrote a commentary on the Philippians. I go to his stuff, to the commentary on this. And I looked at verse 7 here. And I looked at what I was trying to see what he, what his thoughts on this. And this is what, this is what he says about it. He says, Paul seems here to be embracing the church for their long-term association with him in the gospel by their helping him to share the gospel of, in other settings. So like spreading, you know, missionary work, evangelizing, but also by their own activity in Philippi, especially in the face of similar hostility to his. And then he says this to understand, he says, the hostility after all comes from the empire itself, the Roman empire of which they are both citizens, both of whom are now in trouble because they hold allegiance to a citizenship in which Lord Christ holds sway even and especially over Lord Caesar. Their problem, their struggle, was that they, were, they belonged to a new land. They belonged to a new ruler. You know, we don't, we're able to sing songs about King Jesus and declaring Jesus is our Lord. He's our Lord and Savior. But what we don't think about is for Philippi, for the, for the Philippians, for them to say that Jesus is their Lord was a dangerous political statement that would end up, it would get them and put them in prison. As we see with Paul. You remember the story when Paul's in, uh, it's in the book of Acts and he's, he, he goes in this town and there's this girl that she's possessed by, she's possessed by a demon, but she's, but she's like a fortune teller kind of a person. And she's going through and she's saying that Paul and his companion are like, he's there, he's, she's declaring who they are to everyone that's in the, around them. Like these are people that serve Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They're declaring, you know, the kingdom of God and blah, blah, blah. And Paul, what does Paul do? He's like, shut your mouth. Shut up. Shut up. Because what happens is they get in trouble. They like, they, he cast the demon out because he's like, oh, I got to do something. So he cast the demon out and then they get in trouble. Get put in prison. We don't think of it. This was a dangerous, to declare Jesus as Lord was dangerous, man. Their struggle, their struggle was to just stay faithful, to just, was just belief. God, can you imagine? Belief was dangerous and declaring your belief was dangerous. It was oppressive. And that's a word that gets overused and in, in, in co-opted in a lot of ways, but it was oppressive in that your life would be completely changed. Your job, gone. Imprisonment. Your livelihood was at stake just from declaring Jesus as Lord. That is struggle. That is a real struggle. And this is not, this, by the way, this is not me comparing like our struggles, you know, with theirs. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I want us to understand what Paul's saying here and what Paul's looking at here. He's looking at a church that is facing the same things that he's facing. And he's saying, there is one way to get through this. 
There is one way. There's one way to get through this. And he says it in verse nine. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That the love of God that was, it is in you and works through you, that it abounds more and more. With knowledge and all discernment. Let the love of God grow. Let your knowledge grow. Let your discernment, which is a a portion of wisdom, grow. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want your love to grow. I want your knowledge to grow. I want your discernment to grow so that you may approve of what is excellent. So that you don't fall prey to messages and ideas that are not in line with the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. So that you can be pure and blameless. So that your life can reflect the work that God has done within you. To be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Not through your own works. Not through your own, you're not doing it. It's Jesus. And he's saying, he's telling them, he's like, look, you're going to be facing these, these, these moments. You're going to be facing these different pressures. You're going to be facing these different struggles. And you're going to look and be like, God, where are you in all this? And what he's saying is like, no, God's not done with you yet. You remember that? God's not done with you yet. Remember, it's the grace that started and it's going to continue. And this moment, this struggle, it's not, here's the thing. What is conviction if not an invitation to growth, right? Like it's, we, we hate the idea that we might be imperfect. We might be sinful. By the way, you are, you are, it's not, it can't be a secret, we're sinful. We, are, we, have, we, have, we have wounds within us. And some of those wounds are caused by your own decisions. Some of them are caused by other people's decisions. Life circumstances are these rocky moments, this weird tension of like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this because I'm not really sure. And what, what Paul is saying, he's like, look, I'm in jail. Actually, some historians believe he could have been writing this letter while chained to his guard. So he's like writing his letter and his guard is just sitting there. Like completely attached to the person that has imprisoned him. And he's telling them, the work is not a lack of struggle. The work is staying focused on the love that started it all. And growing in the knowledge and discernment so that when life throws you these messages, especially when life throws you these circumstances, that you're not looking at these circumstances like, well, this is the end. This is all there is. This is all, this is all. That. No, he's like, no, that's not what God says about you. God's not done with you. These moments are just moments. And our struggles and our sin and our hurt and our pain are invitations not to have, separate ourselves from God, but for an invitation to have more of God. Because we need that grace. We need that love. We need his forgiveness. We need that wisdom. And sometimes we just need hope. We just need hope that things could be better than this present moment. I can't imagine the, the, the absolute terror of walking out these doors and being afraid that like Niceville police or Oakley's County Sheriff's are going to be right there ready to take us to jail. I can't imagine that. But that's what it was. That's who they were. And they they gelled together. That's what grew that relationship with Paul. It wasn't just that they were like giving him money. That wasn't it. 
He's like, no, you guys, we're, we, are, we are in this thing together. I'm going to invite Kira, if you'll, if you'll come to the stage with me for a second, as I'm kind of wrapping up here. This is my, this is my, my last point here. We need to be reminded, we need to be reminded of the grace that God has for us. We need to be reminded of what started it all. We need to be reminded that our, that growth happens through struggle. And we look at it and we're like, well, how, how do we do that? Look around, look to your left and right. It's that person. It's these people. It's these people because grace, grace and growth are meant to happen within community. They're meant to happen with other people. Grace is not just for your own self. Grace is the the glue, the thing that propels you forward. It's the people within this room. That was the, uh, that was the, my very first sermon here, that's one of the things I said to the, to the students. And I said, you know, grace is what? Grace is the purpose of community. We're supposed to experience it together. We need each other. We need each other. And these struggles are going to happen. Life is going to happen. Circumstances are going to happen. But by the grace of God, we have each other to lean on. How many of you guys went through a, a small group this, this uh, semester and you had no idea that it was going to be the thing that you needed in that moment? The, the relationship that you had, right? The knowledge that you received, the encouragement, the prayers, the love, the community. We need each other. Um, a few months ago, uh, and Pastor Phil is going to come up here in just a second, but pa- uh, a few months ago I went to Pastor Phil and uh, I told him, I said, hey man, I... Uh, number one, Pastor Phil and I have a really good relationship. And one of the things he said is he goes, hey, when you feel like it may be time to move on, I want you to come talk to me. And I said, okay. And so a few months ago, I went to Pastor Phil and I said, hey, I think it's time. I think it's time for us to, uh, to step into the season of transition. And, uh, and he was unbelievably cool about it. And, uh, and which, by the way, is not the norm in most churches. Um, and so pastor Phil, I, you know, I told him, I said, Hey, look, he's, he confirmed it. And, and, uh, he's been nothing but a massive support for us. And, uh, and so, uh, pastor Phil, when he asked me to preach, he said, Hey, I want you to be able to preach one more sermon to our, to our church. And I said, okay. And, um, we're about to, Karen and I are about to step into a season where, uh, we're not going to be the pastors here, pastors here at Gen U anymore. Um, God's opened up an opportunity for us to kind of help out uh, in some interim roles with some churches uh, locally. Um, but one of the things that we know is that God has a really, really amazing future for us. I remember, um, I remember the moment that when I realized we were supposed to come here, and it did not make sense. <laughs> I'll be real honest; it did not make sense for us to when we decided like, Hey, I think when we were offered the job and I told her, I said, it is as if a gong had been going off in my my heart and I couldn't like stop it. And God was trying to get my attention and I've been praying for a while. And 
you know, I mean, I'm not like mad at the church, but all of a sudden I just felt this thing, this, I had this very, as, as intense of a God moment that just said, it's time. And it was like if something broke loose in me and I, and, and so I called one of my buddies who's, who's gone through this before. He's a pastor as well. And I said, what do, you, what do you do when you know God's calling you to move on, but you love the church? And he just said, you just, you just are obedient. You just answer the call. And I said, you don't know where that leads us. I don't know where that's going to take us. But God's been really faithful in this season. He's been faithful. You know, at this church... Um, you know, our family grew. We went through lots of ups and downs, but at the end, we have a church behind us. And we have friendships and relationships that have sustained us. And all I can say is, Jenny has been the evidence of the grace of God in our lives. And so, as Pastor Phil comes up here, I just want to let you guys know we love y'all so much. Come on, Jenny, give it up. Yeah. Just, just remain standing for just a moment this morning. You know, when it was back, I guess, August when we talked. And, um, you know, it's one thing if, if God tells you to do something and there's a door open right there and you step out. When one door closes, you step into another door. It's an entirely different thing to step out when there's no door. And that's what this couple's done. Um, And I have a great deal of respect for someone that just simply hears from God and obeys. And that's that's what we all should be doing in our lives. And I know uh, it's been quite a while back, but I remember a time that Kim and I did the same thing. God told us to leave. We left. We had nowhere to go at that time and uh you know luke's going to be doing some interim work uh in one of our denominational churches for a little while uh helping out uh there's some stuff going on he's just going to kind of stabilize the ship for a few weeks and then as god opens doors further um luke's going to get to sit in the big chair and uh and um and then he and i gonna have some more conversations (laughs) down the line down the line, but I want you to just slip your hand this way. We want to, we just want to pray for Luke and Kira and the family this morning and just ask God's blessing to be upon them and that he opens the doors that he wants to be open for them. Father, we thank you today for Luke and Kira, God, the entire family, God, that you would overshadow them, Jesus. God, you know that you have taught us in your word that when we hear your voice, that we obey, and that's what this couple is doing. So God, I pray now that you open the doors before them, God, that you meet every need of their life as they go forward in this, God, that you prosper them, that you bless their ministry. May they be fruitful in everything they put their hand to. And we give you praise and we give you glory today in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong son of God. And we all said, amen. Amen. Come on, give them a hand, one more hand. Go ahead and take your elements out. 
while you're doing that, I will let you know that uh, Tommy will be telling you uh, some information about our young adult ministry as we move forward in this. It doesn't go away. It will continue to uh, thrive and move forward. Uh, but there is obviously going to look different for a while. And so um, Tommy will be telling you a little bit about that here in just a few minutes. But let's, uh, let's just kind of take a moment this morning and, and focus in on the Lord's table, as we always do. Just, uh, if you don't mind, just bow your, bow your heads. Close your eyes for just a moment this morning and let's just center on Jesus, center on what he did for us on the cross, center on the fact that he took 39 stripes on his back. And it's by those stripes that we're healed. His body was battered. And this, this wafer this morning, this wafer this morning is the body of Christ. It's not just symbolic. I believe that there's something that takes place um, in the communion where it just goes beyond symbolism. And so I'm going to ask you a question this morning. And I just want you to answer in the affirmative today. This wafer is the body of Christ. Do you honor it as such? Your answer would be yes, I do. Father, we thank you for your broken body. We give you praise and we glory fly your name today. In Jesus' name, shall we eat together? Same question with the cup. This cup is the blood of Christ. Do you honor it as such? Yes. Shall we drink together? Now let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you today. We bless you today. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, no one took your life. You laid it down, and we're grateful. And we all said amen.